soul survivors. Six studies in the book of Daniel. Study four, heaven rules. The Tate Gallery in London is crammed with exceptional exhibits. One such is a coloured print by William Blake, the English poet, painter and printer of the Romantic period in art and literature. The work depicts a haunted keen as a creature crawling in all fours. His muscular frame is losing semblance of humanity. A flowing mane melds into a golden beard which sweeps the ground. Finger and toenails have become like sharp talons. The eyes are full of terror and disgust. The portrait is none other than Nebuchadnezzar, who has been the subject of our studies in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Today we come to the fourth study in this series, based on chapter 4 of the book of Daniel, which is the final instalment about Nebuchadnezzar and God's dealing with him. Nebuchadnezzar II, if we give him his full title, you will recall is the king of Babylon, the most powerful person on planet Earth in the 6th century BC. Much of the text of chapter 4 of the book of Daniel is in the first person, in the form of a testimony, Nebuchadnezzar's own story, if you like, of what happened to him. And the storyline in chapter 4 is in five parts. They are, one, the chapter opens with an astonishing declaration in the form of a royal letter in verses 1 to 3 which is followed, secondly, by an alarming dream reported by Nebuchadnezzar in verses 4 to 18. And then thirdly, the middle part, Daniel speaks truth to Pa as he interprets the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's alarming dream in verses 19 to 27. And then fourthly, maladies in verses 28 to 33, when the alarming dream comes true for Nebuchadnezzar. And then lastly, five, reason restored. As Nebuchadnezzar gives his final testimony, he tells his own story in verses 34 to 37. So let's examine each of these five parts of the story in some detail. Part one, astonishing declaration. Verse one opens the narrative in the form of a, a royal letter or secular to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. Nebuchadnezzar is addressing the peoples of his vast empire, which stretched across the Middle East. To his subjects, Nebuchadnezzar makes an astonishing declaration, which we read of in verse 2. He writes, it has seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. The Most High God had revealed his power in the signs and wonders in the previous two chapters in Daniel, namely in predicting the shape of the future, in a dream interpreted by Daniel in chapter 2, and by the dramatic rescue of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's Jewish friends, in chapter 3. Here, in this astonishing declaration, Nebuchadnezzar states that the displays of God's power were for him, the king, the emperor. 
And in response to that, Nebuchadnezzar composes a short psalm in verse 3, which is incorporated into this royal letter. We read of the Most High God. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures for generation to generation. What Nebuchadnezzar is saying in this astonishing declaration in verses 1 to 3 is that there is a greater king and a greater kingdom than his own mighty empire. How did Nebuchadnezzar come to realise this? Well, the answer to that is contained in the rest of the storyline. Let's look at part two. The alarming dream, which is recalled in verses 4 to 18. In verse 4, we find a contented king. At ease in the comfort of his own house. The good times roll for Nebuchadnezzar, or so it seemed. Suddenly, the mood changes from ease to alarm. Nebuchadnezzar is terrified by an alarming dream, a nightmare in verse 5. In his agitated state, Nebuchadnezzar turns to his entourage of advisors, the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans and astrologers of verse 7, who were asked to interpret the alarming dream. But they could not. They could not make head nor tail of the king's nightmare. In spite of all that God had taught Nebuchadnezzar, he fell back on his own habits, seeking explanation from the wrong sources. Dead ends. Cul-de-sacs. At last, Daniel appears in verse 8. And you notice in the text, Daniel's Hebrew name is mentioned. His true identity is not forgotten after all the years of his time in exile in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar uses his Jewish name here alongside his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. And Nebuchadnezzar addresses Daniel with great respect. We read in verse 9, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, Because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Then Nebuchadnezzar summarizes his dream in verses 10 to 15. In his dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw a beautiful tree that is the source of food and protection and shade for the whole earth. It's like a cosmic tree, colossal in size, filling the whole earth. Its top reached to the heavens, and it was visible in all the corners of the earth. Then Nebuchadnezzar hears an order given from above. From a watcher, a holy one, who came down from heaven in verse 13. The order is given to cut the tree down. There will be nothing left of this colossal tree but a stump. In verses 15 to 17, it becomes apparent that this cosmic tree is a symbol of a colossal man who is to be felled, brought low by the loss of his mind. 
He is going to descend to an animal-like existence for a prolonged period until he learns that heaven rules and that all the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. We read that in verse 17. And this is a refrain which is repeated again in the storyline in verses 25 and 32. It is the key to unlock the meaning of this chapter. And no wonder Nebuchadnezzar was alarmed at the prospect of this dream. For he was the king of all the earth. And so he commands Daniel to tell him the interpretation. For Daniel has the ability to do this. A God-given ability. Unlike the rest of Nebuchadnezzar's advisors. In part 3 in verses 19 to 27. Daniel speaks God's truth to Par, to Nebuchadnezzar, as he interprets the dream. We observe that when Daniel hears Nebuchadnezzar recounting his dream, he too was dismayed, which gave way to terror. We read in verse 19, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And then the king answered Daniel by saying, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Nebuchadnezzar was clearly aware that Daniel was troubled by the contents of the dream. He assured Daniel, who in turn speaks God's truth to Nebuchadnezzar. In the second part of verse 19, Daniel begins with a common courtesy of wishing that the contents of the dream were intended for the king's enemies. Then, in verse 22, Daniel makes the connection between the cosmic tree and Nebuchadnezzar himself. We read in the text, It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. The dream was a decree of the Most High to Nebuchadnezzar. It has come to you. It has come for you. You, Nebuchadnezzar, will be deposed and driven from the royal court You will live among and become like an animal for a period of time, seven years, until you learn. And here's the repeated refrain in verse 26. And as as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be confirmed for you for a time that you may know that Heaven rules. Heaven rules. After interpreting the dream, Daniel opens or offers Nebuchadnezzar some advice in verse 27. Renounce your sins 
by doing what is right. According to God, Nebuchadnezzar had three chief character flaws. One, he lacked moral integrity. Two, he acted mercilessly towards the oppressed. Three, he was blatantly arrogant. As the Bible names it, the source of all human failings and flaws is sin. The essence of sin is that I make myself the centre of the universe. Nebuchadnezzar was the cosmic tree that was about to be felled. Despite the alarming dream and its prospect, Nebuchadnezzar did not bother to heed Daniel's advice. As we see in the fourth part of the story in verses 28 and 37, maladies. The dream comes true in the words of verse 28. Verse 28 All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. A year after Nebuchadnezzar's alarming dream and its interpretation by Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was strutting on the roof of his palace in Babylon. And when he saw the magnificence of the human of achievement, Babylon the Great, Nebuchadnezzar's heart swelled with pride as he said to himself, and we read this, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While these words were still in the king's mouth, at that precise moment, a voice from heaven announced his fate. And immediately he loses his mind and he loses his kingdom. He was driven away from the royal court and he lives outdoors with the animals. There, like cattle, he eats grass and herbs because he thinks he is an animal. There's been much speculation about the nature of the malady that afflicted Nebuchadnezzar's mind. Psychologists have suggested a number of conditions whereby people believe that they are and behave like an animal. Whatever it was, the text attribute its onset to the direct intervention of God. As the repeated refrain is found in verse 32. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you, will shall be able, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Heaven rules. Well, the story comes to an end in the fifth and final part in verses 34 to 37, reason restored. Here we find another royal decree an enlarged mirror image of the first royal decree, which we came across at the beginning of the narrative in verses 1 to 3. This is what Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged in verse 34. 
At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honoured him who lives forever. To lift one's eyes to heaven is to seek God's help. In doing so, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged the Most High God and his sovereignty over all. And like the immediate onset of the malady, God healed him immediately. My reason returned to me, Nebuchadnezzar said. And he blessed the Most High in the psalm in verses 34 and 35. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none shall stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? For Sinclair Ferguson, a theologian from a Scottish background, Nehemiah's repentance involved the retracing of his steps that had brought him so low. Once he looked on Babylon as his own creation in a spirit of pride and self-worship, now he lifts his eyes and prays to heaven in recognition of the most high God. John Lennox, the Irish apologist, contends that Nebuchadnezzar came to admit that God's severe humbling of him was right and necessary to bring him to a real understanding of the nature of God and of the kingdom of God and its eternal rule. Heaven rules. We come to the conclusion of this, our fourth study in the book of Daniel, Heaven Rules. We began by saying that this narrative in Daniel chapter 4 was essentially Nebuchadnezzar's story, unique to him. But in closing, I want to draw on three principles that apply this story to our own lives and situation. The first principle is this, and it's the big point of this narrative. The overarching principle is that heaven rules, which is repeated in the refrain, as we have noticed, of verses 17, 25, and 32. That heaven, that is God, of heaven is sovereign. In fact, in verse 25, this is the only place in the Old Testament where heaven is used as a synonym of God. Heaven rules, for God rules. In other words, the Most High God exercises sovereignty. He rules the kingdoms and regimes of humanity. As Ronald Wallace, an Old Testament scholar, scholar has put it, God rules down here, not merely up there. He wanted his will done in Babylon, among sinful, selfish and scheming people. There is nothing more down to earth than that. 
And remember, the book of Daniel was written to the sole survivors, those who had experienced the trauma of exile in Babylon. And the big point of heaven rules was to assure the suffering and bewildered people of God that despite appearances and in spite of their plight, their God is sovereign over all the earth. We too, in our time of chaos and catastrophe, internationally, nationally or personally, need to hear the same truth reinforced again and again and to believe it. Heaven rules. The second principle, the descent of man. That was the title of Charles Charles Darwin's second book, published in 1871, which asserted that all human beings belong to a common ancestry and to a unity species. The title of The Descent of Man was also that of a more recent publication by the artist Grayson Perry, who tackled the subject of the toxic masculinity in this book. In this narrative in Daniel 4, we see the descent of a great man, Nebuchadnezzar II. This story in Daniel speaks to our humanity. In the biblical narrative, human beings are unique because they are made in the image of God, as we read in the opening chapter of Genesis. They are therefore distinct from other creatures of the earth. This biblical view is being challenged today by some philosophers and scientists such as John Gray and Peter Singer and Richard Dawkins, to name but a few. The story of Nebuchadnezzar clearly demonstrates that people made in the image of God cannot do as they like. Human beings bearing the stamp of God are accountable, are answerable to God for their attitude to people, to animals, and to the earth. Nebuchadnezzar's descent is a sobering illustration of that truth, which we would do well to note and to heed. John Lennox, the Irish apologist, again, draws attention to Nebuchadnezzar's descent into the intellectual darkness of animal behaviour. Although an extreme case that illustrates an important general principle. When human beings reject God, they die spiritually. And that death touches, spoils, and destroys all that makes human life what it is, the descent of man. And thirdly, and finally, the presenting issue in Nebuchadnezzar's story in Daniel chapter 4 is his arrogance. Nebuchadnezzar's achievements were incredible. Babylon was full of Nebuchadnezzar's artistic and ascetic and religious imagination. He had made it a glorious city 
and civilization. Bricks that made up that city have been excavated by archaeologists and they bear his stamp. Nebuchadnezzar, son of Nabopolassar, king of Babylon. And in spite of God's dealings, his warnings and his patience towards Nebuchadnezzar, he still thought he tarred above everyone and everything. Walter Kaiser, an American Old Testament scholar, tells of the funeral of another great king, Louis XIV of France, the so-called Sun King. He had made the arrangements for his funeral service, which was to be held in Notre Dame in Paris. The cathedral would be in total darkness, with the exception of one solitary, solitary lit candle on his coffin. And so it came to pass. And when the preacher rose to give the funeral oration, he first walked over to the coffin and snuffed out the flame and began his sermon with the words, Only God is great. Dale Ralph Davies, another American Old Testament scholar, adds, This is what we need to go around muttering to ourselves. Only God is great. Nebuchadnezzar II and Louis XIV are not the only ones who need to hear this. For we are all a bunch of Nebuchadnezzar and Louis clones wanting to call our own shots, to be the tallest tree in the forest, and seldom, except in rare moments of sanity, stopping to consider how foolish our passion for self-deification and self-glorification for arrogance. Only God is great. Heaven rules.